to say I keep a check She was a bad man, nevertheless Calling it quits now, baby, I'm a wreck Crash at my place, baby, you're a wreck Josh, and this is a podcast where I watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends. Today's episode is about Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, the sequel to 2018 Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Joining me today, there's a lot of shitting on the establishment going on in his house these days. It's Joe Morgan, our animation correspondent. Joe, what's going on? Hello, Josh. And let me begin by saying all hail Lord and Miller. <laughs> yeah, they are. Uh, and, you know, I've seen some, I've seen some sentiment because, like, I mean, obviously... This movie is quite the accomplishment. I've seen some sentiment that like, you know, people are like, yeah, they're great too. But like, you know, they didn't direct the movie. So we want to spread the love. But like, they are obviously shepherds of this franchise. They wrote the movie along with uh, Dave Callahan, who has had like a very strange couple of years. That guy, he, uh, he like, he, you know, he wrote uh, Shang-Chi, which is honestly my favorite of Marvel Phase 4, but also wrote Mortal Kombat, which was like not great, Bob. And Wonder Woman 1984, which is not great, Bob. Uh, so like, you know, uh, good, good for him. Cause he's, he's a win in his calm directed by movies directed by, uh, three different people, Joaquin Dos Santos, Justin K. Thompson, and Kent Powers, who we talked before, about before, cause he wrote soul. So now he's like kind of back in the kind of, and ended up co-directing co- it. Right. And I think, <laughs> That's right. yeah. And, uh, is now uh, co-directing this. So just quite, quite the career for that dude. Who, like I believe he used to work like as a writer, um, you know, like a, like a, like a, like a, media writer and then like in film critic type person and then you know became playwright and now is freaking directing this movie insane uh yeah but like so uh this movie though uh takes place you know back in this uh well what world does it take place in joe because you know there's a lot of jumping amongst worlds in there (laughs) but you know uh one of the more prominent characters introduced in spider-man into the spider-verse aside from miles morales was gwen stacy voiced by our girl Haley steinfeld uh but like this movie actually opens on Gwen Stacy in her world because you know she traveled away from her world and met up with Miles in the first one. She's back on Earth sixty five where she is uh, lives with her father George, who is the police captain, voiced by Shea Wiggum, I believe. Uh, and uh, we're, we're kind of like we, we're, we get more backstory than we really ever got in Into the Spider Verse about how in her world, you know, she was a spider person and she was best friends with Peter Parker, who was just a regular person, but you know wasn't so wasn't so uh, happy with and content with that anymore tried to you know drink some kind of concoction to become powerful just became a big old wizard that uh, Gwen fought and you know I, I think she was a little hard on himself I wouldn't say she killed him but she probably knocked him back into being a person and it, I, I read it as you know maybe the effects of that medicine just like you know took their toll Peter died and her father's kind of been on the hunt for spider woman ever since and she is like you know having to deal with the fallout of like just losing her friend, being separated from Miles, who she became fairly close to, I guess you know in the in the events of the first movie, and is just dealing with all the you know th- that kind of teen trouble. And uh, she, she she ends up you know uh, 
in, in a fight with Vulture, which is the kind of the first really cool animation flourish aside from, you know, that world itself, because Gwen's world is, you know, done in a different animation style than than Miles' world. But like the the uh, the, the Vulture in this movie is not Michael Keaton. Uh, it is uh, it, it is uh, straight out of like a Renaissance painting, which is just a really cool flourish. And she's fighting them, but out of nowhere, uh, in the midst of this fight, uh, she uh, Miguel O'Hara, aka uh, Spider Man two thousand uh, Spider Man twenty ninety nine, comes to her rescue. He's voiced by Oz- Oscar Isaac. He's assisted by Jessica Drew, voiced by Issa Rae. They invite her to be a part of a Spider Society, and then where we, where they are, you know, doing their own thing, and we come to learn more about later. Then we jump back to Miles, who is you know dealing with the the, the stresses of being the friendly neighborhood Spider Man, but also trying to get into college and be the be around for things with his family. And uh, as he's kind of like you know struggling with his parents, he uh, he, he he comes across Spot, vo- voiced by Jason Schwartzman, who who was an Alchemex scientist and now is just like you know jumps through portals with holes uh, based on what happened when to him when the whole thing blew up on him in the last movie uh and miles is you know dealing with trying to chase him down but then gwen is sent to deal with that too and he follows gwen back and uh sees what else is going on out there and everything else she has been up to and all the different uh corners of the multiverse she has explored he is exposed to that but comes to learn more about what what his role is in all this and we'll get to that later but i want to stop talking uh joe uh this movie really expands the world a lot in what was already a very expansive world in spider-man into the spider-verse i think your first reaction i don't know if i saw it on twitter or instagram or letterbox or somewhere i know your first thing was like wow this made me feel really great about the medium i work in and like everything that makes it makes possible i think that was your sentiment to some extent uh yeah. you are a animation you work in animation but on the writing side so i where i kind of wanted to start was asking when you have that reaction to something like that and you make a statement like that are you more thinking about the storytelling that the medium is capable of or like just the the visuals it's capable of or really just how they complement each other like what 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 do you from what perspective are you thinking about this when you are a writer but are you focusing on something beyond just the writing when you say something like that it really is the complement of the mm-hmm. two and i say this because um you know the the original spider-man into the spider-verse that was my favorite movie of 2018 mm-hmm. so um this was already highly anticipated for me um watching this film i was really struck by the character work there are just so many scenes in this movie mm-hmm. where we really just get this deep impactful character work with gwen with miles with miles's parents particularly his mother um in this movie that are just really stunning and specifically what is so great about this franchise specifically is how they do play with those visuals and really create like this you know when when i teach screenwriting students like one of the things i talk about was wearing writing specifically for animation is animation isn't just you need to have a talking pig who is a spider-man right like mm-hmm. You can use the environment and the visual look of something to really heighten the emotion and the feeling of certain scenarios of what your character's going through. And I think this movie does a masterful job of that, specifically with the Gwen, with the Gwen story. Um, you see just like these beautiful like watercolors, and they they like like her world changes with her mood, doesn't it? Yeah, they yeah, they really just intensify and and really just heighten like this conflict with her father and like just so beautifully done. Like just like off mic, I was telling you earlier about how like there's just so many shots in this movie that would just be like (laughs) the best shot in like any movie that came out in the last few years. And that's not even being disrespectful to those past releases. It's just how much this movie accomplishes. So like um, it's just such a beautiful marriage of like storytelling as well as just like what, the future of animation could look like if we could kind of 
break out of this sort of general style that we've seen from the major studio, major American studios in the past 10, 15, 20 years. Yeah. I think that's a really good point you made about just how, it, how it kind of enhances how those characters are feeling. Cause that's something I had thought about, but like didn't have written down in my bullet points. And I'm glad you went there with it. Cause my, 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 I think my answer might still focus a little more on the, on like on things other than the visuals, but my, my, my thought, my thought as I, my takeaway as I thought about how I appreciated the movie more was that like, I think the, the visual storytelling and just the, how they, how they drew this movie specifically might be the most impressive thing about it but for my personal enjoyment about it i think the storytelling might have actually been more important because i think they kind of went above and beyond visually from where they went in the first one and that's really important and that's really awesome and it's incredible to look at the amount of detail in this movie but i think one of the things that like and this kind of goes to a little bit about my it kind of goes hand in hand with my thoughts about ant-man and the wasp quantum mania but like i think I coming into it, I was like, I had faith in Lord and Miller and I had faith because I really thought into the Spider-Verse is great, but I'm just like, man, everything's the freaking multiverse now. Like, am I going to get tired of it? Is it going to be too too convoluted? Is it just going to be, is it just going to feel like been there, done that with how many other, every single story we see these days is multiverse. Like, I mean, it's, 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 it's crazy. Anything Superman, like we're about to have the flash, which I mean, not that I have the high expectations for that, but we know that's going to be it. We have all the MCU. We have hell, everything everywhere all at once. Like it's, you know, it's, it's everywhere. And I'm like, man, is, is, are they going to be able to make it feel fresh? And did you see quantum mania yet? Yes. Yes. I've seen it. So I, I didn't, I wasn't like super high on the movie, but like I, one of the pluses I gave it was like, I was worried I was going to get, it was, I was just going to be like bogged. I, I was worried it was going to get too bogged down in the minutiae of the, of the multiverse and the quantum realm and all that. And I, I thought it like told its story without getting too into the weeds on that in a way that I was glad it did. Uh, mm -hmm. But at the same time, there was just a lot of other stuff about the movie I wasn't too pleased by. And I thought it kind of like it got through it. So it got the movie like survived and got got over the finish line in, sp in spite of that, because it is like, you know, it didn't like it was smart it would, like because it was smart enough to try and tell its own story here. I was just so impressed because I think Lord and Miller and Callahan, they, they leaned into the into the multiverse stuff as opposed to like, you know, just focusing. Oh, we're going to tell our own story that doesn't even have to do with that within this, which is kind of what Quantumania did, which I was fine with. Here it's like, no, we're going to lean into like the multiverse and all the possibilities of it and like actually not like not feel and, and feel fresh and uh, not confuse the audience and also do everything else right though whereas like i said before i thought quantumania did, there was a lot else i didn't do right here's like no we're gonna get all the supporting characters right and we're gonna you know and, and and we're also going to you know like actually tell a really interesting story here and i i just thought that was like really really impressive how they managed to do that in a way that just felt like very distinct and like they knew what they were doing where other people that have tried to touch this multiverse thing, like they, I don't think they've been able to like wrap their hands around it because it's like a very, very delicate thing and fragile thing, and things can just fall apart probably if you don't do it right. So I think that was what impressed. That was what like was because I I came in knowing it was going to look good, you know. So I think I was just like really, really happy that like I thought they really kind of stuck the I don't want to say stuck the landing on the story because there's a you, there's we'll have a little bit of a talk later on about how it ended. But like, you know, I, I it's like it, it, it hit all of its marks, I think, really, really well in the story, whereas like there's so many places where something like this could go wrong, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And some of the some of the stuff I've seen from the MCU, which um, to be completely fair to it, I haven't rewatched Quantumania. I haven't rewatched Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness. I haven't rewatched Loki. That being said, I feel like the some of the MCU storytelling at this point has more only has more so only hinted at the concept of the multiverse without fully 
exploring it or at least fully at least exploring it in the capacity that these two spider spider verse films have Mm -hmm. and so like i think and perhaps that's just a tease for the ultimate well whatever the fate of kang dynasty is in the wake of the jonathan majors situation but Mm -hmm. um ultimately i just feel it's been tease 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 whereas this movie is like hey like you know multiverse like we're going to actually like explore like these characters and these spaces and um do so in a satisfying and visually interesting way that is ultimately all tied to character so um, yeah so so across the spider-verse gets to that point by like i said before mm-hmm. uh eventually like if you remember multiverse of madness they did give us a look at how they were very they really did go all out, all out in some ways to like make all those worlds look really different so i'd say that part of it that part of across the spider verse not as not as unique it's just like it's it's just surprising in a different fun way but like they really like very efficiently i feel like in, introduced like so many different characters in a really fun way while doing this thing with all these different worlds um mm-hmm. you know i mean they did they did go to the venom world i don't know if, if you've seen the venom movies if you picked up on that the yeah. first mm-hmm. first time so th- that was funny but like they went to all these other animated worlds too but like like he follows he ends up following when the first time into what they call botan which is like you know uh, like, a, like a i guess like a like kind of like a indian inspired like city and uh have their, they have their own uh they have their own spider-man there but like they're 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 going through that and just like i think it's really cool. Like there's so much more depth to that world than like even what they did in the MCU stuff where they went to the, you got a lot of glimpses of what some of those worlds like look like, but you didn't like go deep into them like mm-hmm. they do here in the sequence and which ends up like in a chase sequence. And, uh, and Peter ends up like saving that Spider-Man's girlfriend's dad, who is the police captain. And all of a sudden that world falls apart. Um, because Peter has disrupted their canon event. This movie's doing a lot of stuff. So, I mean, not only is it like, you know, like just introducing all these worlds, but it, it, it it's like, all right, we're going to like really make this thing, this canon event, something that everyone can understand pretty easily, but it's, I'd say something that hasn't really been explored that deeply. Yeah, everyone knows that there's always some kind of sad death in any kind of Spider-Man story because we've seen a lot of them now. And uh, it's like, well, and, but all of a sudden we learn now that like if that gets disrupted, it's something that like is very important to those worlds. It causes those worlds to fall apart. And a large part of what the secret society is doing is they're trying to fix things when those when, when things go bad in any given world like that. And in uh, in Spot is kind of like, you know, creating his own kind of problems every time he like pops in and out of these worlds also. Who's, and that's kind of going on in the background for all this. Seems like that guy's going to be pretty important, though, in the next movie. But basically, uh, Peter, after, after they have that problem there, Peter ha- has all this explained to him when he gets taken, like, kind of the Spider-Man headquarters and uh, and and has to – he gets taken to the Spider-Man headquarters and we get to see all the different – all a bunch of different kind of Spider-Man, not necessarily their worlds, uh, walking around there. And he, and he reunites with Peter B. Parker from the first one, which is which is big and fun. He's got his own little kid, uh, Mayday, but then he gets introduced to Miguel O'Hara and who explains all this to him and says, Hey, like, you know, th- that's a canon event you messed up. And, uh, yours like, you know, and at, at some point in all this, and I really can't remember the sequencing, Peter kind of like has a vision of his dad dying in a couple of days. And we learn that that is actually going to be his canon event. It wasn't really his uncle dying. And that puts him at odds with these other Spider-Men who say like, look, you know, sometimes like this is just what has to happen in our lives. We don't have to, and we just have to understand that this is more important and saving the entire world is more important as opposed to one person. And, you know, I think, we get to understand and we have to think about like look is it possible to be spider-man without a canon event uh and what kind of is a sacrifice like that worth it to go save one's dad and i think these are just such interesting questions joe and that's what made the story like work for me and not have to think too much about the science or the minutia or the consequences of one thing happening and another thing happening and another thing happening i think they like asked some really interesting questions that really like 
hit these characters where it matters. And I think that was kind of what it did really well. What did you think of them like going deep on this idea of a canon event, which I thought was really smart because honestly, at this point, I just kind of eye roll at that whenever it happens. They even do that. They even make fun of that in the movie itself with like that therapy scene or something like that. It's like, yeah, we get it. Like you come to expect this, but what does it really mean? And I was really impressed by that. What did you think of the writers deciding to go, go there with like kind of on the crux of their story in this movie? I really appreciate like the commentary that this series is having on sort of the fandom culture and this franchise like storytelling that we are just like right in the thick of, especially with superheroes now. Cause like the whole general message of that first movie was anybody could be Spider-Man. It could like, it could be anybody under that mask. Right. And then you see like this backlash from racist fans and I mean, not all racist, but like, you know, a lot of fans, many of whom are racist saying like, Oh, Miles Morales isn't the real Spider-Man. It's mm-hmm. Peter Parker, things like that. Right. And like, basically like, we construct this whole movie over like this idea of canon events and things have to be a certain way. And ultimately we give that power to miles in this movie, just to sort of reject that out of hand and just be like, no, I'm going to do my own thing. Right. And like really kind of taking um, like what's come before and what needs to happen in a Spider-Man story and kind of upending that whole formula, that whole philosophy and like kind of playing out that very big conversation within the context of this movie, I think is just um, a really important message that probably a lot of the people here, uh, probably a lot of the people who are Spider-Man fans or who are into the superhero fandom like, probably need to hear, you know? Um, so I really appreciated that they went for that. And it kind of, you know, you have like stories of time travel, stories of multiversal stuff and how the different effects. And like, I guess this sort of went, sort of nuts when Endgame did the time travel thing, right? And ever since then, like, we've kind of been dealing with these types of stories, you know, the DCs getting out of the Flash, like you mentioned before, with the multiversal thing, so. Um, it's interesting <laughs> that you mentioned Endgame, was like, I was thinking about that earlier, and I was like, I really liked Endgame, but like, mm-hmm. and if, if I had any criticism of it, it's like, I don't know if the time travel stuff totally tracks. Like, yeah. if, I th- if, I, if I thought about it for too long, maybe it started to fall apart. Mm-hmm. I either with, with across the Spider Verse, I either like haven't I either have been just so taken by everything else with it that I have, have not felt the need to even like dissect it like that, or mm-hmm. it's like, they, or or like the script is airtight enough that like I don't think there's like any real like weird like you know goofs or fallacy or, or fa- fallacies or anything like that. If you think too hard about some of the science and universe jumping that it does, they're like. I did, I just didn't care. Like I there were there I didn't really have any hangups of that nature, and mm-hmm. uh, so I I just I, I just thought that was really impressive to like get get that stuff get get that kind of aspect of it right. But also getting all of this character stuff right too that you're talking about, and, you know, mm-hmm. and 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 remembering to like you know have have that good message, but not have it feel like a message movie. It's just uh, they did a lot of things at simultaneously, which is impressive. And I like how it's all tied to Miles too. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's very easy if you try to tell a story of this size to get lost in it all, you know, like there's just like, we're trying to service all these different visions of Spider-Man. Like we're interacting in this space with all these different people. And like, you know, again, going back to like the character work in this movie, I just think they did a fantastic job with like, really like, you know, like Gwen like gets her own thing in this, but also like miles very much has his very specific journey that he's on. And we have like all these big multiversal, confluences happening and everything but it's all tied to like this specific thing with miles which i really appreciate it well, so, i think they sort say sometimes just want to like sometimes movies of this kind just sort of want to overwhelm you with the scope and like you know and just 
be like, oh, look at this and this and this and this and look at that, you know? So anyway. Well, so let me ask you then about Miles' family. We didn't talk that much about them yet. In the first movie, you know, his mom doesn't have a ton to do, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, she has more to do in this movie. And the, and the first one is like, look, I mean, it's it's a really good story about Miles and this kid kind of like, you know, figuring things out after being put in a put in a particular situation. And uh, I mean, I think I think it picks up here with him. I I really did kind of understand a struggle. I, I had a little more trouble even after going back and watching the first one, kind of like tracking where he was at with Gwen. Like, I understand why he he might have a little crush on her or something like that. But like, I didn't fully get I don't know if I fully kind of like. I, I think they got me there with their voice performances, but at the same time, I was like, would she have actually been on like a first name basis with how she thought about his family? Like, I don't know when they had that many long talks about his family. Like I got that they might've mm. had some connection just based on like, you know, what they had going on in their lives with respect to like the, the, the spider bite stuff. But like, I didn't, I, I was like, I don't know about if like, I really am fully there on that specific connection, but at the same time, like I, that, they, that they, that they seemingly have, even if I do get that they missed him, I'm like, did, did we see him like just hanging, talking about the life all that much? I don't know. But at the same time, like they, it's like they, they pick up here and it's like, I do get the struggle that he must be feeling, you know, uh, mm-hmm. to, 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 to feel pulled in all these ways as Spider-Man to like, you know, want to be a regular kid. And just, that's going to, that's going to create strain with your family. It's inevitable. And, and it's totally understandable why it would be difficult to talk about that with them and to feel like you're not sure you can really come out to them. Even though like his dad seems to like, uh, he, he keeps talking to his dad as Spider-Man. I really got a kick out of like both him and Gwen, yeah. like lowering their voices, like really quickly. And then going back to like the regular voices, whenever they were in the presence of someone that might, they might know when they had the mask on. And so like his dad doesn't have a bad opinion of Spider-Man, but it's like, you know, are they going to lie to me? And I have all these other stresses. Plus like I, my life could be a lot easier if I knew I could trust my parents, but I'm a little scared to like, I, I, I bought the stresses he had going on in his life. And I like, and I think the voice performances by Brian Tyree Henry and Lauren Velez as his parents are like really good. And it kind of brings everything together. Uh, I mean, did, did you think it was a pretty good a, a, a pick, depiction of, I don't want to say teen angst. Cause it's not necessarily that dark in that way, but like, uh, mm teen uh, stresses and anxieties. Yeah, I think it does a really nice job of, um, you know, and like I've praised Inside Out a number of times in this show. I was about to say, I just as a quick <laughs> aside, I'd forgotten there was going to be an Inside Out too. And like, I just saw something about it on Twitter, like, because I guess it, maybe it's coming next year. And mm. like how it's like, oh, it's going to be about teen Riley. I'm like, that's actually like a brilliant idea. Like, yeah. you know, like inside the head of a teenager is like way different. Like even like way different than inside the, I don't, what is she like 11 and in inside out? Like, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. that, that could be, a t- there's going to be like a lot of new, new terrain to mine. Even if like she's only like four years older in this next movie, like it's really smart. Sorry, but yeah. go ahead. Yeah. But, um, one of the, one of the things I really did appreciate about inside out specifically is I felt like they kind of did a really nice job of depicting that parent child relationship when the child's beginning to like grow up more and exhibit and exert some more of their independence and things like that. And um, I really appreciated like the depiction of it in this movie as well. Like you have Miles who has this secret, but like this, the the struggle between he and his parents still works. This isn't a Spider-Man movie because you essentially have this kid who wants to do his own thing. And these parents who are coming at him with um, like from a place of love, you know, and it's still like this headbutting situation, though, because like he's not coming. He's not stepping up to the standards that they have for him you know and like my favorite scene in this entire movie is when miles's mom ungrounds him it's that conversation beneath the water tower and they have this really like heartfelt like talk together and it's you know she tells him that line she says you know like it's always been my job to take care of this little boy and now you're going out in the world 
I need you to now protect that little boy that we love so much, you know? And I just think that really gets at the heart of like, you know, I don't speak from personal experience because my children are two and younger at this point, but like, I think that's really the heart of what parenting is. You have your kid and you know, that's your baby and you take care of that child until they get to a point where they don't really need you as much anymore. And so it really becomes about like, you know, having to fend for that small version of yourself where you started out in the world, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, I just think that scene with his mother specifically where she ungrounds him and lets him go on his way to like go after Gwen, wherever she went, like really parallels like his ultimate decision, right. In this movie to, uh, nah, I'm going to do my own thing. Right. So mm-hmm. to protect that little miles inside of him. So um, yeah, I just, and like, again, like um, I just want to make sure I get the actor's name right in this regard. Um, Shamik Moore. Plays, or? No, who plays his mother? Uh, Lauren um, Bliss. Yeah. Yeah. She just, yeah. Uh, she, yeah. She plays Rhea Morales. Yeah. Just fantastic. Like I just really love that scene and, I think it's probably my favorite scene I've seen in the movie this year. She's just, I mean, it's just a little back and forth and really ties into like the emotional journey of this movie. And, and like, you know, it's just, it's a pretty standard scene. This movie is filled with like amazing images, you know, and like things you've never seen before, but this sort of plays out as just sort of a standard conversation scene too, which is like, I feel like this movie has that incredibly ambitious art and really interesting style, but like, some of its best moments come in its like most quiet moments too, which is just something I really adore about it. Yeah, it was cool. They, 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 they you know, they, they just been so at odds within a few hours of that, but they, you know, mm-hmm. the writing is such that like, it felt like it gets to a natural place where she like kind of ungrounds mm-hmm. him and kind of like, just kind of like gets to a point where she sees him and sees that she needs to give him to give him that freedom. Even if it's a uh, heck, it might be the, I mean, there's a lot of movie after that, but it's a, who know little did they, she know at that moment she might not be seeing her kid for a while at that point, which is a, a I don't know, pretty sad. Uh, and yeah. but like, I mean, I think look, this movie does. I guess, well, I take that back because at that point we'd already had a couple of really really cool visual things. We hadn't we hadn't gone into the other worlds quite as much at that point, but we we'd, we'd mm-hmm. seen Gwen's world and we saw her and Miles like you know exploring New York and uh, and Brooklyn and stuff like that, and that was just a really cool scene. Uh, but, you know, at, at that point, we really haven't like quite gone all out, like seeing all the other things it's going to the movie's going to explore yet. And then we go to um, and, and but, the, but but then and but then like soon after he is uh, uh, he, he's like witnessing when, you know, uh, following the spot around and like he's or at that point, he's already felt a little left out by the secret society. So uh, yeah. that's another stress he's having. I mean, not that that part of the movie necessarily goes on for that long, but it's like he's already like kind of feeling a lot of stress and then it, and doesn't really have anyone in his world he feels that close to while he has all that stuff going on and then all of a sudden he feels like he's being left out of something and mm-hmm. uh so that that's why he follows that's why he follows gwen and we kind of one thing i didn't mention earlier is that like you know spot was like there and was the one that sent the radioactive spider out of uh out of earth 42 into miles's world and mm-hmm. you know because of that uh Miles is kind of an anomaly, and that becomes another big thing in this movie, and how isolated he feels because of that. When he comes to learn that by talking to a lot of the other spiders, so it's like, again, it's really impressive how the movie it, like it really is all about Miles in some of these ways. But like, they it's it's much more Gwen's movie too than the last one was, and there's all these other really interesting characters we haven't really talked about yet. So it's just I I just keep coming back to the fact that like it, it accomplishes a lot, and uh you know, and basically like not that much more than two hours. I guess it's like two hours and twenty minutes, but there's like. 
I don't know, there's like 10 minutes of credits. It's it's pretty efficient <laughs> in the way that like a lot of other movies aren't. And I think that's really cool. Joe, let, let me let me back up for a second because I did just mention that that trip around uh New York that he and Gwen have when they first reunite. Uh, that might be some that stuff might be like some of the stuff that that those sequence that sequence might just be the, what sticks with me the most from the movie, just from a mm-hmm. standpoint of like the music and also all the all the uh, just everything they do animation wise and giving New York that depth. You know, I don't want to say like that's totally unique. That was like the thing I liked the most about Soul. But like even then, mm-hmm. like I think that was more just like seeing how they rendered those buildings in Soul. They, they, they you're, you're and at least to my recollection, I have only I haven't rewatched Soul in quite a bit. But like you know, you see him walking down a handful of streets and then you they jumped out of new york too fast for my liking is my recollection of that movie uh here it's like you know in there there's a lot we see a couple different versions in new york but at the same time it's like in miles is new york we get to see just how much i don't know i don't even know if depth is the right word but like or detail or but like it it seems like if at any moment i feel like we could turn down any street and they would have had something really like really interesting rendered with respect to a building uh, and I just enjoyed seeing that. And I, I'm wondering, uh, out of the worlds that we saw in this movie, what kind of like impressed you most from like a visual standpoint? Because they really did do a ton. I mean, is it the Mumbatan sequence or is it something else that like is going to stick with you as like, oh, wow, these animators were on their game? Yeah, just everything feels so lived in. You know, they just give so many like important details. And I, I really think that Mumbatan scene <laughs> sticks out so much because there is just so much going on in that instance, you know, where like you're meeting new characters, like there's an immediate situation with the spot, like you're having all the chaos of everything. And it's not just in universe chaos it's the multiversal cleanup at the end. And there, like, there's just so many things to service and you have like these, I mean, at this point you have miles, you have Gwen, you have um, spider punk and you have uh, in Spider-Man India, like all, you know, like they're all, doing different things. It's, just, it's like, you know, I just feel like having just the way that world is built out and the way they're able to like, you know, you kind of, you never really lose track of where you are, even though like the city is literally like sliding downhill, like the entire time, right. That it's that, um, I forget the name of the tech company in the movie, but like, you know, it's like that whole thing is sliding down the place and you like, you always have a sense of where you are. And then um, like, I'm glad you mentioned soul in terms of the, building out of New York as well. Cause uh, like, you know, shout out Kemp powers, right? Like he, mm. he, he has had to pick New York uh, better than better than most. So um, oh, he's actually from Brooklyn. I know that too. It's kind of cool that he got involved in this, you know, mm-hmm. um, given that miles is kind of like a Brooklyn Superman or a, a Brooklyn Spider-Man. Whereas, you know, Peter Parker's a Queens one, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, yeah, you know, you know, one thing that I, again, and this might not see, he knows, I'm sure there's plenty of things like this in other movies you know, and mm-hmm. they, they had a lot of time to get this stuff right. But like one thing that like really small that jumped out to me on my second viewing, because I went I went I went by myself last night, or I don't want to say by myself. One day I was really impressed. I mean, this movie's making a ton of money, but like this was a Tuesday night, 10 days after people saw it for the first time, a Tuesday night at 8:15 in like a non-IMAX theater, and it was like almost completely sold out, even the front rows. Like just yeah. uh, inc- the movie is doing incredible business. And but like I I, I during one of those sequences when he and when he and Gwen were just going through New York, I think it was at one point when it once it had gotten dark outside, um, or no, heck, it might have actually been when he followed Gwen after his mom told him to go. It, mm-hmm. it was during it was something during that night in New York when the, when something else is going on just on someone's face in the way in the background, even past like an overpass of some kind that cars could be driving on, like through that overpass. Or, I mean, you're looking straight down a street in the background of the shot, 
And over that street, there's some other kind of overpass. And if you keep going down that street, you can still see other through traffic through other streets intersecting that street. And then like, I just saw like lights going through, like they still like cars going like way back through in the background. It's like, they're like doing like every little thing in the back to like make the city feel like it's alive in the moment. And I was just like, wow, that's kind of funny that like, I was able to like notice something like that. Cause like when I go expecting like pick up on other like small details, I was not expecting to like really focus on that. I was expecting to focus on more story beats. And I was like, oh, wow. Like, they are like they, they they animated this thing down to like the nearest speck of a headlight of a car like way 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 back from that had nothing to do with like what you were actually supposed to be focusing on that scene and but like at the same time like it probably just makes everything feel better and you don't even realize it until you just happen to randomly see something like that mm-hmm. um and so that that was really cool i i i've talked about like the mountain scene a couple times i think that that's a sheer like what like flexing to like be able to create another city like that uh, but like, I, I want to also talk about how they introduced those other Spider-Man right there. And it's just kind of, it's just pretty cool. Cause like I was talking earlier about Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania and how there are like a lot of other potential characters that got introduced in that movie that like feel like they might even be on screen just as much as some of the ones in this movie. But I couldn't really tell you the first thing about them. I remember, mm-hmm. enjo- I remember enjoying whatever William Hack- Jackson Harper did in that movie, but I don't actually remember what he did. Like it just, it, it didn't stick with me. And the moment I liked him and it's like, I don't know if they really got to do anything with that character. Uh, but like, also, I'm I'm wondering, were, were there any of these new introduced these newly introduced secondary characters that you got to kick out of? Because like, I, I think it's incredibly impressive, like what they did with Hobie. I'm, and I, I don't know if that 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 stuck out to you or something else. But like, what did you think about like how they were able to do more than just like give Gwen more to do, still give Miles plenty to do, like we talked about, but like just introduce other characters too. Like, what impressed you most about that? I really loved how integral Hobie was to the ultimate decision Miles makes. You know, like I think it was really cool that you develop that brand new character that he like Miles goes through the gauntlet with Hobie, you know, like Hobie's first introduced as like a competing love interest for Gwen. And he's like, there's that jealousy thing that's playing there. And then it's also like this, wow, like look how cool he is. And then slowly as the multiversal situation develops, right. And like Oscar Isaac's uh, Spider-Man is like, you know, talking about canon events and how Miles has to go through it and how Miles doesn't belong. Hobie's the one that kind of gives him that final push to like fight back, you know? And I thought it was just uh, really cool that not only did they had that character kind of go through all those different, um, go through all those different dynamics of Miles, mm-hmm. but Daniel Kaluuya in there, who is just like one of our finest actors working today. I mean, like there's Oscar Isaac and Daniel Kaluuya in this movie and they're both like bringing like, a a game performances it's nuts but very different um, performances too but <laughs> effective in their own ways yeah, yeah. and like the one thing too I, I admire about this movie is that like it would have been really easy for them to bring back spider ham and spider noir mm. and peter b parker in major roles and instead they give us like these new characters who are just so fully realized and so you know and like, who are just brand new and just further grow the world where we still see Peter B. We still see like Spider-Ham and Spider-Noir at the end. And I imagine they will have bigger presence, bigger presences mm-hmm. in the third movie, but still like I just, there's like a lot of restraint and they sort of are able yeah, to definitely. build out the scope of everything without, you know, cause I mean, again, yeah, it just would have been really easy just to kind of go through the motion somewhat of what the first movie did. So um, yeah, I think Hobie was like the big standout that I really 
loved what they did with the art style with him. Like it was just completely. Yeah. It feels like, so how, how would you describe what they did there? It's like, a, I mean, it's like different frame rates, like feels like a newspaper cutout. Like I, yeah, I, what's, yeah. the, what's the proper way? I don't, I don't know how else you would say it, but like, it's just that they did that, but it still kind of felt seamless is I, I, I don't, I don't know enough about animation to know what the trick is. I just know it, it. It's pretty cool that they did something like that felt that, that new after the first one felt that, that boundary pushing visually. Yeah, and like with with Hobie and also with um with the vulture at the beginning, it's like they yeah. give them their own art style, they do something completely different with them, but it's never like distracting and you know, it's never distracting. You know, it's always like you know, they find ways to like utilize it and make it service the story or service the moment in really cool and fascinating ways. So um yeah, I just I'm yeah. I am just a huge fan of like them not playing it safe and like really just kind of going for it. And, um, and the thing with Miguel too, and like, we can get into this if you want, but like, you know, Miguel is like clearly this antagonist force here, but like, you know, he's not like outright evil either. I, like, I, lo- I, I love, villain- I love villains that have a point. Yeah. You know, it's like, I, I, do I want, do I want Jeff to die? No, but like, yeah. I, I, I enjoy it when it feels like they're, they're coming from somewhere. I mean, it's, it's a, we, we, we've seen, we've seen Marvel do villains like that kind of like Killmonger or someone like that, mm. but it's like, you know, they, they're making some good points. You just don't really like the way they're going about it uh, here. It's like, he might be going about it the only way he can. He's just a dick about it kind of too. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, like they, they take the time to like, you know, shade him too in a way that doesn't just feel like, you know, perfunctory. Like we see, and I, they don't explicitly say, I don't believe Joe, correct me if I'm wrong. They don't say if this version of Miguel actually had kids. So it's not like, did he lose something? He's trying to get it back or is he trying to capture something he never had? But like he talked about how he did go find some, uh, another universe where his, his counterpart didn't stick around and tried to live with the family. But then that eventually kind of tore that world apart and that put him where he is now. And it was an interesting characterization for him because it seems like he's just going to be one way. And it's like he still kind of is that one way at the end. But, you you know, he has something something more going on. We don't know what his canon event was. If He obviously had one in some manner. Did he lose a family? Did he just lose someone else and wasn't happy where he was in life? Like there's so many possibilities, but like I don't also need the answers to that necessarily. You know, like we're going to, well, I'm sure some of the unanswered questions of this movie will be answered in the next one, but like they did such a good job of writing these people that it's like, um, I, I, I just don't really like, I don't really need it. It was, um, uh, which which is, which is why I thought when I did the, um, when I did just did the podcast on, um, shoot, what, 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 what just came out for Marvel last? Oh, for guardians three. Guardians. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Gosh. Uh, when I told my, I told my on that podcast, like, I didn't need that. Like, I, 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 I mean, there's a floor to how much I'm going to enjoy a Guardians movie, but like, I, 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 I didn't need the rocket stuff that we to that extent in that movie. It's like that. That's such a great performance from Bradley Cooper throughout all those movies, and we've gotten mm. hints about what's going on in Rockets Past enough that like, I don't need you to like spell it out and watch me this watch show me this guy getting abused. Like, I can kind of tell from the very first shot you ever have of the scars on Rockets Back. Like, there's some dark shit here, and there's enough going on in that performance for me to kind of put the two and two together. I don't need to see it. So mm-hmm. here it's like, yeah, this Miguel guy, he's he's kind of been hurt. They even have it with Hobie and they played off a little bit as a joke when Peter's like looking at all the people that have had a canon event and Hobie's like, what of it? And yeah, you, you just know like, all right, this guy's been affected, but he's like chose to be this way and it's funny and all that. It's like, I, I, I can kind of get it as long as the performance is good enough and the writing is strong enough for what we're given. I don't need to have stuff spelled out for me. And I thought they did a great job of kind of like, you know, getting to that point with Miguel. Oscar Isaac deserves credit for that. The writers deserve credit for that. And it's a, it's just a, a great effort to like just really like make all these characters feel pretty well developed for, for what they're given. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, hundred percent. And like, this is the Marvel villain performance we deserve from Oscar Isaac, not whatever Apocalypse was. So. Oh God, I hadn't thought about. It. I, I hadn't even. <laughs> I hadn't even really thought about this being like his return to Marvel from that. And that 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 was that man. I was such. A, I was so let down by that movie because Oscar Isaac was like on a fucking roll in 2013, 14, 15. You yeah. know, leading into that with like you know Inside Llewyn Davis, Most Violent Year, Ex Machina, and I'm like, holy crap, he's gonna cap this off by being an awesome X Men. Yeah. <laughs> man, and me. also he and also like peter b parker lets him hold his baby too he he's like you know like he can't be all that bad if he's a kid is a kid is anarchist uh, <laughs> shitting on the establishment um it, it, that, that, that stuff was just hilarious um yeah. and, and i mean well what did you think about peter b parker i think he was one of the favorites of the of the first movie uh mm-hmm. and it really enjoyed jake johnson's voice performance and here it's like complicated he's moved on and he's like probably in a better place than just about any of these other spider-men here Mm-hmm. And at the same time, he is here and we come to learn that like, you know, Peter feels betrayed by a lot of these people or excuse me, that Miles feels betrayed by a lot of these people when he realizes that a lot of them knew what was going on with his dad and they just didn't tell him they were there to like in. So Peter B. Parker, to some extent, is kind of aligned with Miguel's goals for uh, led to believe at least for some of the movie and uh, is and tries to like, you know, play it off as another way to Miles and, you know, eventually ends up on the right side at the end of things. But like, uh I, it's, it's there's a lot going on there because i mean it's cool to see him have the dad side of him but like you know at the same time like and he, he even kind of says miles inspired him to have kids but like he's kind of doing something that hurts miles too like what do you think of everything they asked jake johnson to do this go round? he is the most underrated casting of this whole thing mm-hmm. like i never would have thought like you know all due respect to jake johnson you know i just never would have thought he would be able to play this kind of role and like do it so like beautifully because like obviously he's a funny guy but like you really kind of you know you're kind of with him and like some of the most dramatic moments and stuff he just really just seems like you know he's really just trying to do his best but doesn't really know the answers all the time you know and i love how much miles changes peter b parker you know like i think it's you know there's a tendency that these mentor roles just sort of dole out advice and like they're smart and got their shit together you know what i mean and like mm-hmm. you see time and time and again how miles like inspires peter b parker to like change and make his own way and i you know it's and like i think again too like you have that moment of conflict where like peter b parker hasn't told miles about what's coming and you know i think it would have been really easy again to sort of like lean on the rapport of the first movie and like not have these characters over in conflict over something that's so gray. And so like, you know what I mean? Like just a situation that's so spiky for everybody involved. So like, I, again, like, I just think they, like, they do right by their characters by putting them in these situations. So I love that performance though. I'm glad we were able to give it some shine here. Yeah. It's, I mean, obviously he's still incredibly likable, but it's still, I just want to shout out again because I feel like I kind of just talked for a while about it and then threw it to you and didn't go back to it. I think they like the, the canon event stuff is just like handled so well, such that like, mm-hmm. and even for people that are like kind of like tired of it in a way, again, it comments on that, but like, I, you kind of get where all of these other people are coming from and that just makes it a fun conflict. Like, it's a different kind of like villain setup where it's not like a, it's, it's almost not a bad guy in the traditional sense, like the last one had in Kingpin. Like, Spot is out there in this, but like, he's like, mm-hmm again kind of in the background has a presence whatever but it, you know it's just kind of funny to think about like look do we really need this is there another way 
And, but you kind of understand because we're so conditioned, like the movie knows that we're so conditioned to understand that this is just like a part of Spider-Man's story that we're not just like totally being dismissive of it when it's like, is this necessary for like him to become who he's ultimately meant to be? And I think it's interesting too, like in, in Gwen's world, like she was already doing the Spider-Woman thing before Peter ever died. So it's like, who mm. knows? We don't really know if that actually made her better or not, but we just know what we know from like watching so many Spider-Man and this movie like acknowledges literally every, just about every single other Spider-Man it could possibly acknowledge. So mm-hmm. I think it's just I think I think it's cool in that it really like it takes from a lot of these other universes in a way or references them in a lot of ways. It just kind of serves this story well. And I just wanted to kind of like shout out that again. What, what, what else, Joe? Let's, let's let's jump to the ending and then we'll kind of work our way back to any other anything else we missed. Yeah. Uh, I think when this first got announced, this was going to be like I think it was originally like across the universe part one and across the universe or, 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 or across the Spider Verse one and across the Spider Verse two, correct? Uh, mm-hmm. At some point, they changed it to be the third one's going to be called Beyond the Spider Verse, but like that kind of implied that look, this this these last two are going to be a little more connected in some way, kind of a you know Infinity War Endgame type of thing where like the, the, those had similar uh, that, that had a similar thing going on where I think that was originally going to be like a part one and a part two. Uh, so I, it shouldn't necessarily be surprising that this, this kind of had a very, like, uh, a very like cliffhangery type of ending, like, Oh, what's happening next. But like, I think, you know, some people are still docking the movie some points nonetheless for it's like, yeah, it could have had a real ending or something like that and stood on its own in a way. And it just chose not to do that. My question to you is, was there any other way for this movie to end? If this is the story I wanted to tell? No, I I I think we're just too much of an instant gratification culture in the idea of a cliffhanger is just killing people because i mean you like have to care about something and you have to like anticipate and wait and like you know i mean the from podcasts i listen to and things i've read since mm-hmm. the movie, you know there's the obvious harkening back to empire strikes back but even empire strikes back had some sort of resolution right like luke and leia are reunited and they have that hopeful shot looking out of the galaxy like we don't get that here you know so like i think you know it's very dark and like it also like I don't want to spoil anything for anybody who hasn't picked up on it, but there was some like symmetry to that last shot of, um, of good guy miles um, tied up in that moment. So um, with the first spider verse, maybe that you know we could talk about off mic, but um, yeah, I just, I think that there's uh, I, I think that it was really cool. Like even I knew it was a part one. And when we get that to be continued, I even was just like, Oh, you know, like, Cause I was kind of expecting like a little bow at the end of this thing. Right. So um, I thought it was really brave. They did it. Um, I think, and like, you know, we, when we talk about movies that are for a young audience on this podcast, I feel like it's just like, you know, we don't have to condescend to kids. Like kids are intelligent. Kids can engage with material, like give them a cliffhanger, give them that experience with a character that they love. And it's just going to make them hungrier to come back for the next one. So God, speaking of kids, uh, I had a, I had like a really rough theater going experience last night. Like it was cool for good, glad for them that they're making a lot of money. I was next to a father with like who had like three kids at the movies with him, two of them to his right, and I think his wife might have been on the other end. But like mm-hmm. he was holding one of the one kid in his lap. Like I think I think it was like that kid was maybe small enough he didn't need his own chair, and that he just gave the kid his phone. But I think his goal was to be like, sorry to the guy to my left. I need my kid to like focus on his phone so I can enjoy this movie. So mm. the kid like was just like playing a game on the phone. They like kept turning the noise on. And to the dad's credit, like, you know, he like kept turning the noise down. But it's like, <laughs> yo, there's still someone sitting like right next to your kid that's having to deal with this light on this phone. Mm. And like he did a good job of like every time the kid started making noise, trying to get him to shut up. But it's like, dude, at a certain point, gotta let you leave, bring your bring your kid out. Like I'm as hardcore of a movie goer as I am. I'm actually not like a total Nazi with respect to bringing kids to the movies, you mm-hmm. know, but like, 
you know, babysitters are expensive. You know, I, I get it. Like, when people want to be able to watch movies, but it's like, that's just what comes with having kids. Like, if you're going to bring the kid there, you know, like, you got to take him out once he starts making noise. Yeah. Uh, so it's like, I think I, that kind of got it. It's like, I get what you're saying. Like, trust kids. I, I can just tell, I can just tell you from personal experience, you probably got to be like, you know, I'd say a little older than like six years old to really get it. This kid has probably like, oh, sure. in like mm-hmm. the four to six range, not quite young enough. I think the target audience is a little older than that. And then at that point, like, yeah, I think you can be locked in. Like, it's not too scary and not too... You know, I don't think it's too scary, but like it's dark enough at the end there that like they know something's wrong and it can elicit that feeling of like, you know, oh shit, like this isn't good. And that, 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 that's an okay note to go out on. I think that'll really get to some kids. And, mm-hmm. you know, if you wanted to tell a story about like Miles, like getting put in the wrong universe and having to get his way back, like, yeah, it's, it's a continuation of the story. You got to end it somewhere. I kind of feel the same way I did about like, you know, Dune part, Dune, Dune part one, part two, that whole thing where it's like, mm-hmm. look, like you're adapting this book. Like you got to stop it somewhere. This kind of seems like, there might not be a better place to do it i've never read dune but it's like all right i guess you got to do it there sure here mm. it's like i just kind of accepted it and like this felt like in this movie I had like honestly more action than the first dune so it's like look you got you can't feel like you know you know you can't really feel like you got like the short shift of it or anything this movie's freaking awesome to look at so i i thought it was cool i'm wondering like at what point because there's like a lot of moving parts in this thing like i think uh, you know some people like picked up on it like from the moment they're like put it that machine in the spider society headquarters like oh they kind of figured it out at that point when the machine said which earth it was he was headed to was there a moment before like the the actual reveal of his mom like not knowing who spider-man was where you kind of knew he was in the wrong world did you know it from the the look of the animation or any of the other clues around there i didn't pick up on it Mm because um just personally because if there were any visual cues i kind of missed Mm -hmm. them and i think i was just really caught up in it when i was Mm -hmm. watching it and so like when when he, he reveals it to his mom his mom's like Who's that? Like what? Mm. Exactly what she says. I was like, "Oh no!" Yeah, and it makes sense that, and obviously, it makes sense that wouldn't world wouldn't have a Spider Man when the when the spider escaped. I, I think. I think. Well, he does he does he glitch before? I don't remember if he glitched before or after he told her. I I think that was think after. After, yeah, they kind of save it for that. Okay, yeah, yeah. No, I guess it was. I guess it might have even been. I, I don't know. I don't remember exactly when it clicked for me. It was before the glitch, and it might it might have been right when his mom said that. But it, maybe maybe it took me a split second after that. But I was like, "Oh shit!" Uh, and then I think it might have had to do something with like what Gwen, what Gwen, comparing what wherever Gwen was to where he was. Like maybe that was what made me kind of realize it. I guess. And mm-hmm. I'm like, "Oh wow, okay." So we got to like deal with this. And it was in, in in a little weird when Uncle Aaron made the comment about the cornrows or whatever too. On mm-hmm. also, and so there's like a lot of things going on there where you're like, uh oh, this is this is awesome it's off whatever but and for a second it looked like oh maybe they would just end it with like with Gwen you know uh talking to talking to Miles's parents but then we we actually pick back up with where uh you know Aaron ends up bringing Miles and we see that you know that universe's Miles per hour Miles Morales is like turned into the Prower so like I said before like not hard to like you know get some dark vibes off of that but at the same time, there's it's plenty is left open to interpretation. He might not be a straight bad guy. Uh, what were your feelings on like that being the moment you left off on seeing this other Miles? Did that did that kind of like excite you even more for the next one and the possibilities that that presents? Oh, definitely, yeah. I mean, like Miles is very much like figuring out who he is in this movie, right? Like, it's who do you want to be, you know? And there's that there's that very like ba- there's that big back and forth with his parents about going to Princeton, right. Mm-hmm. Going to college in New Jersey. How there's far him, so far away. Right. And him figuring out like what kind of Spider-Man he wants to be and like how he wants to take control of his own destiny. And then like just him seeing that alternate version of himself. I think it's just such a powerful final moment too. Cause he's like, 
forced to like confront like every possible path he can go down, especially with that, you know, that he has that such that close relationship with his uncle Aaron in the first movie too. And his uncle Aaron was the prowler in his own universe, you know, to kind of see what uncle Aaron's influence was on him in this world. Right. So, um, yeah, like I really, I really liked him having to confront like, you know, all the different possibilities with where he could go yeah, and like just, the worst possible one too. So just say that, that world's uh, miles is voiced by Jarrell Jerome, who, you know, is a, a pretty uh, promising up and coming actor himself and kind of getting in on this. Uh, so they are, they aren't just like having it be voiced by the same miles, which kind of makes sense. Cause you know, they had different Peters voiced by different guys too. Uh, mm-hmm. with, you know, the one in the first one that died in miles universe being played by uh, Chris P- or being voiced by Chris Pine. So, doing a similar thing here with a different miles. And I just think, you know, again, a lot of people have a read on that guy. Like he's going to be like, not all bad, like some kind of like vigilante guy that's just been having to been, been toughened by that world, which I think is cool. Like it, it seems like it creates more fun gray areas like the, uh, like, like Miguel does like, like they have with Miguel and who knows, maybe in the next one, like something, something could happen. That's going to like, you know, make Miguel realize, Oh, maybe we don't just have to like murder this guy's dad just because, and maybe, and maybe there's something where they off the team up and fight against spot and some other villains that come up. And I, I have all the confidence in the world that like they would, if they did want to bring in some other villain to like, you know, make it feel like a little more of a fair fight to, instead of just being goofy spot, and sounds like Jason Schwartzman because it's voiced by Jason Schwartzman. Like that can't be the big bad by itself, probably. So I think that's something we also potentially have to look forward to. You know, is that they, you know, have some other villain presence that's really fun. And, and since they did a lot with very little time with a lot of characters here, they could they had they certainly have the bandwidth to, in my opinion, do that. And then see all these people fight against each other, maybe come together, maybe not come together, but maybe forge alliances here and there. There's just so many possibilities when you think about like you know everyone that's in play now. Uh, between all of these different worlds and you know that would normally be exhausting to me like i the one of the things that's like and not not just exhausting but like exasperating because I, I i it's it's exasperating to me that i feel like the mcu uh is potentially you know i don't know like doing this in a way that like robs it of stakes where it's like you don't really know if anyone's gonna die uh or you don't think anyone's gonna die because someone else can have another movie it's whatever and i'm just like I, I don't even care about that here because they've just done such a good job of setting up their whole multiverse thing where it's like, all right, they'll pull someone else from another world that'll serve the same purpose and I'm sure it'll be good. So I just think that's really, really uh, something to be commended because I just, again, I, as I started off the podcast saying, I think there's a lot of ways this multiverse stuff could have gone wrong. Um, Joe, what anything else we didn't touch on yet that you wanted to go over before we wrapped up? Um, Just sort of in a general sense. Like mm-hmm. I'm just really continue to be impressed by you know like what sony pictures animation is doing you know i think um you know i I, i'm I'm very hopeful for mainstream american animation right now because i think like we keep pushing the envelope with everything it's like last year we got three incredible like major american animation releases with pinocchio and um and puss in boots the last wish and then you know, we had Spider Verse in 2018, and in 2021, you had Mitchell's versus Machine, which was yeah, uh, yeah, which was and, Lord and Miller. And um, like I really appreciate that Lord and Miller, and like I think I just read today that Guillermo del Toro says he wants to work almost exclusively in animation for the rest of his career. I really appreciate that we're getting these really like bright um, filmmakers to continue to invest in this side of the this um medium of the industry like i think it's just really encouraging and like i think you know 
for a few years, there was like just this tendency that we were going to kind of match the Pixar look with our stuff, right? Like and the Pixar DreamWorks um, computer animation look. So I'm like getting really encouraged because even like Disney, Walt Disney um, animation, their movie Wish this year, they're kind of, it's going to be like a hybrid hand-drawn computer generated style for this new movie that they're doing. So like, and a princess movie, no less. So like, I like how we're beginning to kind of expand and push the envelope. And I think Lord and Miller, like sort of shepherding the animation unit at Sony is like, you know, really been a big part of that. So like, I just generally, I'm just grateful that they are going to keep, they keep pushing the envelope specifically in this series. And it's sort of having widespread effects on everything else. My, my love for the medium is uh, not as strong as yours. I personally would be like really excited if Lord Miller like wanted to venture into live action again too. Uh, mm-hmm. But like, it seems like, but like at the same time, I can't really complain when they put out a product that's just great. It's just, mm-hmm. I really like, I, I really like the 21 Jump Street movies and it's like, it'd be cool to see them uh, get to do something like that again. But mm-hmm. it's like, if they're, if they're willing to like take the time to write these movies as good as they are, like, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't, maybe they've already written Beyond the Spider-Verse. Like, we've already mentioned a couple of times. It, it right now has a March 2024 release date, but I feel like I've seen some buzz about how, like, eh, like maybe they're hedging that. They might move it back, and no no one would even complain if they did because, yeah. like, when they, you know, and I mean, I know this probably got delayed some because of COVID, but, like, again, it's animation, so maybe not quite as much as other things would have, but it's like everyone's, like, everyone's happy. Everyone's, like, if it took them five years to get it this good, great. Uh, if they if they've already done most of the writing on Beyond the Spider Verse and like Ford and Miller want to go write something else animated, like I'll obviously be there for it. But like, uh, and it's it's just cool that they like it seems like they just like really know what they're doing. They're helping empower the right people, and that's like really important. And uh, I so I cer- I certainly second what you said, but at the same time, won't complain if I get twenty three Jump Street. Uh, yeah, <laughs> or, or, or like any or any of the uh, sequels that were in the credits to uh, twenty two Jump Street. Uh. I, I don't know if I have anything else I want to necessarily touch on. I, shout out to my girl Haley Steinfeld again. Just want to say, uh, yep. great, great voice work. I talked about her in the earlier. Like I said, I don't know if they really necessarily like bridge the gap as much. It was kind of fuzzy. Like I, if you look on the Wikipedia plot summary, like it says, uh, I think it says like 16 months after the events of the first one. Uh, you know, at some point, and I and, and I was like sure, but I didn't. They didn't really make that super super clear in the movie, and so I was like. Oh, man, I, 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 it feels like they're implying a lot between the relationship here when uh, it's like, I guess 16 months has like gone away, but like at the end of the first one, like didn't Miles just send everyone back to do their own thing? Like, when did he spend all this time with them? Like he's calling them his friends. Like, I don't really know. But at the same time, it's like, there is something to the fact that like he, they, they share something like they say on that scene that they're sharing at the, you know, at the top of the Brooklyn tower, like, you know, like we, we get, like we, we we're really alike and we get each other in the, in, in the ways that matter. And I think there's something really to be said for that and how it's like, you do know these characters enough that it's like, you get that they would have this bond, but that's not really possible without the voice performances. And I, I'm, I think like, I mean, Haley has to do a lot in this movie. Like it's a little bit of whiplash at one point, like when she's like having that fight with her dad, but all of a sudden she's like, like cracking, she's like cracking jokes again when like, you know, she's going to the fight and then her dad's responded and she's having to fight the vulture guy. And then it's like, there there's a lot going on there like in, a, in, in that opening and like she's very sad very angsty but all of a sudden she's joking and when she's spider woman like in lesser hands that might just that might just feel like a lot going on but like you just you just kind of enjoy it and you're there for the ride with her so uh mm-hmm. shout out to her shout out to shamik Moore. like we only said his name a couple times uh mm-hmm. i mean he obviously doesn't work if you don't get a vo- big voice performance a great voice performance from miles himself uh i think he's certainly up to the task uh any I, I actually last other thing because i i feel like 
we might have actually in, in in trying to talk about all these other story beats i think we might have even like uh in i talked broadly about like the creation of some of these cities but like you did say like there's like 50 shots in the movie that could be like the best shot from any director's career and it's not a slap to that director were there any other shots that have still stuck with you that we didn't really touch on from this movie that you wanted to be like oh i really really appreciated how they did that well there's the one that you shared with me like <laughs> earlier today where uh, he's swinging the cakes up through the stairwell, like to or to changing. To- I've watched it like ten times, and like they cheat yeah. a little bit by like uh, at one point, like they go off screen, and then he has a shirt on again. But like they don't cheat that much with him. It's like, I, where is he getting the clothes from? I guess he's pulling them out of the bag. Like it's yeah. like incredible. It's incredibly impressive. And like whoever did that Twitter thread was like, yeah, like and you just could not do that in live action. It's using the medium to its fullest. Yeah. And then uh, he and Gwen, that whole sequence where they're swinging through the city is just mm-hmm. wonderful. And then they hang up they, they do the the hang upside down thing and like i mean just very very cool specifically spider-man moment that like um is just phenomenally done and like very cool and then um like just that whole the spider-man chase specifically when they're on the train i just think just like in terms of um <laughs> not, um just in terms of knowing where you are and like servicing all the different um, and just like never losing track of where you are. You know, I, I'm, I'm thinking of another train scene I watched last year where I was just like, I have no idea where anybody is or what's happening. And mm-hmm. like, just again, just the scope of that chase where they have so many different characters and everything, like you never like become disoriented, you know? And like, I think it's just such an achievement. It looks cool as hell too. You're, so. you're excited for Peter Park car to get his own movie. Wait, what? I said, are you excited for Peter Park Carr to get his own movie? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Anything. <laughs> anything. Let's do it. Anything. <laughs> um, no, yeah. It's it uh, some incredible attention to detail and even humor within that sequence. Uh, just again, accomplishing uh, so many things at once. But uh, yeah, no, I, I feel like you could certainly like pick apart any other moment of this movie. I, I, it's, I just think I'm really like, honestly, I might be like, I mean, I rewatched Into the Spider-Verse again the other day, and I'm always down to rewatch that movie, but like in a lot of ways, I feel like Across the Spider-Verse is going to be even more rewarding on rewatch than uh, Into the Spider-Verse was. So uh, mm-hmm. just uh, really excited about, uh, just really excited to when, whenever they get around to this, uh, to the next one, we'll be there. And uh, it's just really, really impressive to see what they were able to do and how they left no stone unturned. It was just incredibly, incredibly thorough, thoroughly well done movie that like literally checked every prop box it needed to check i'd say uh joe uh before we get out of here anything else that you've been watching recently that you would like to, rec- to recommend to the viewers you're here a few days ago talking about little mermaid but you're on vacation so i don't know if that means you've gotten to watch more or you're just watching stuff with the kids anything else you haven't pimped recently on the podcast you would like to shout out uh well i've been kind of um um i'm a huge indiana jones fan and so mm. like um getting ready for dial of destiny but um i've been kind of visiting some of Harrison Ford's non-franchise work this year a bit. So um, I finally saw Working Girl for the first time, which was a delightful. one. Yeah. And um, this week I watched Witness um, where he um, gets, uh, where he has to hide out in the Amish community. And like, that was a fun time. Like, it was just like a nice little, like, um, like thriller and um, like, you know, police conspiracy thriller. And like, you know, I mean, he's, I mean, you know, he's Harrison Ford. He's just charming as hell. And like, it's, it's a good time. So. This is, this uh, is, uh, witness is the recommendation <laughs> it's his lone oscar nomination i believe uh i, I think and oh yeah it's a, yeah it's a good one i mean it's uh 
takes place up, up until they get to Amish country. They're in Philadelphia, I believe. They, I think they filmed a decent amount of that. I, I, one of those big scenes at the train station they filmed that. I think they did that in location at 30th Street Station in Philadelphia, which I'm a place I'm uh, pretty familiar with. But I haven't watched that movie in some time. I feel like I owe it a rewatch. They're like, there's, I'm sure there's a couple other Harrison Ford things I've never seen. I probably need to go back and do uh, that I've just never gotten to. But like, I mean, it, like, it's, it's it's kind of incredible just like the staying power that man has had. Uh, mm-hmm. and he, he's still like acting in so much stuff, like you know, just in the last couple of years. Between uh, like he's in one of those Yellowstone shows, he, he's in shrinking, he's gonna be in like the Captain the the, the, the Winter Soldier Captain America movie, uh, not mm-hmm. the Winter Soldier movie, the um, the uh, Captain America, Captain America was, Brave New World, <laughs> yeah, the, the Sam, the the, the, Sam, the Sam is Captain America when he's gonna be the president in that taking over or taken over for uh, William Hurt. So uh, just, yeah, I mean, you can't go wrong if you just want to like go, go watch Harrison Ford stuff. I don't know if I've had anything new to recommend. I haven't really watched a ton on uh, TV the last few days. I, you know, you, you know what? I, uh, I did watch the first episode of the new season of It's Always Been Sunny in Philadelphia, which was like a pandemic project for me, or not a pandemic project, excuse me, which was a catching up on It's Always Sunny was like a project for me earlier this year when I watched the last four seasons. I just fell off at some point because I just didn't, I didn't, I just didn't, have them recorded and it was like oh man i gotta like go watch them with commercials and eventually i just did i powered through mom hulu and it's pretty impressive uh for like something at 16th season to still be funny so you know if you ever just you know laugh like that's a pretty timeless show even though it's been on since like 2005 you know it doesn't feel really that all that dated if you go watch an early one so if you ever want to just like start if you just like i want to spend a ton of time watching 170 episodes of a sitcom like there are worse things you could do with your time uh joe uh before we sign off uh social media where can people find you uh, I'm on Letterboxd at the letter J Parker Morgan. Um, yeah. And I guess you'll see um, witness and then um, <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, just I, 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 I sparing reviews, but I try to make them worth their while when I do write them. So sure. So maybe, maybe, maybe in uh, as usual, I'm Josh Renovoy, J O S H J U R N O V O I on Twitter and Letterboxd podcast emails, real movie pod at gmail.com podcast, Twitter is at real movie pod. Uh, maybe Joe will have a little something to write on elemental, but if not, he'll be back here at some point in the next couple of weeks to talk about that one too, because uh, Joe has done like literally every single Pixar movie with us since we've been a podcast. So we got to keep that going. Uh, elemental is coming I mean, by the time you guys are listening to this, it might have been out for a weekend, but we'll be back to talk about it uh, within a week or two, I would think. So uh, thanks again to Joe for joining me and being so generous with his time. He's actually kind of on vacation right now, so we appreciate his dedication. As usual, I want to also thank all of you for listening, and we'll see you next time.